1: It is brought to you by Stanley and the Home Depot. Now, here are Tom and Leslie coast to coast and floorboards to shingles, this is the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show on air and online at moneypit.com. I'm Tom Kreitler.
2: And I'm Leslie Segretti.
1: And we are here to help you with your home improvement projects. Hey, do you have a project you'd love to get done before the end of this year? Give us a call right now. We're here to help. One eight 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 Money moneypit Or if you've already sort of given up on that dream and you've put it off till next year, hey, let's get started right now. Let's talk about the project. Let's figure out what you need to do to get going, whether it's a do- it self project or one you're going to hire a pro to get done. We're here to talk home improvement in your house. 888-666-3974. Coming up this hour of the program, are you planning a vacation this holiday season? Well, if you are, you want to make sure your home is safe and secure. And one of the weakest links in your house could be your garage door. We're going to teach you how to secure that in just a bit.
2: And also ahead, are you dreaming of a crackling fire to go along with that white Christmas? Well, a wood-burning fireplace is not the only option. We're going to share tips on installing a direct vent gas fireplace to get that festive glow all season long.
1: And as you do your gift shopping this year, have you ever noticed how many times you're offered a warranty with that purchase? Do you wonder if they're ever really worth it? We'll help you sort it out.
2: And One Color of the Sour is going to win an easy way to make their house into a smart home. We're giving away a Canary single device security system worth $199, courtesy of the Home Depot.
1: So let's get to it. The number again is 1-888-MONEYPIT. Leslie, who's
2: first? All right, Donna's on the line with a Victorian home and lots of design questions. Hey, Donna, how can we help you?
3: I have a Victorian house. Okay, It looks big from the outside, but when you go inside, the rooms are small. They're tiny. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to make the rooms bigger or else just start over from scratch. And everybody tells me it's one of those houses that's been here many moons. It's a historical house, okay? okay? But the rooms inside are just small. But the house outside looks big. What can I do to make the rooms bigger? Do I need to start all over again from scratch or what? Or just rebuild or?
2: Well, if the structure is in good shape on the exterior and the siding is interesting, and especially if the home is historical, you might not be able to do too much with the exterior or the size of the home, depending on what the historical registry might be with the property. That said you can do a lot of changes on the interior walls can be moved plumbing can be moved it really depends on what kind of floor plan you're trying to achieve how much more space you're trying to gain how many bedrooms you're trying to achieve you know it's hard for me to comment on what you can and cannot do without actually looking at a floor plan but know that pretty much anything on the interior can be changed of course you know depending on how much you're moving and where that will affect the budget but Almost anything's possible.
1: And there's also decorating techniques that you can employ that can make those very small rooms look big. Incidentally, you know, with, with old homes, small rooms were the norm because they were easier to heat. They didn't, they didn't have the expansive rooms of today. That's why the rooms were so small. But you know you can employ some decorating techniques that can make those small rooms look bigger. For example, one trick of the trade is if you paint your ceiling white, you bring that white paint down about twelve inches onto the onto the walls itself. That gives the uh, appearance of more space overhead. It's a pretty neat trick. Uh, And it works really, really well, especially if you frame the difference in color between that and whatever wall color with a very thin strip of molding. It really makes it look like almost sort of a paint on coffered ceiling.
2: Mm -hmm. Well, and that molding that you're talking about, Tom, that occurs 12 inches down, that's picture molding. And that's what was used in Victorian homes to actually hang your pictures on the wall. You would never put a nail into the plaster because you didn't want to damage it. But you would put two clips with a chain hanging down from that picture molding to your piece of art, and that's why that's there. So it's really a great natural line to add that ceiling color, too. Marlise is on the line with a slippery window question. What's going on at your money pit? My windows,
4: I have two, and it's an add-on where you walk in, and they're probably about 7 feet long and 15 inches wide. They slid down, and the top has a 2-inch gap where the so air is just coming in. They're not the type you open. I heard you could put suction cups and try to pull them up or something. So
1: these windows, you say these windows slide, but they're not the kind that open? Well, that doesn't make sense to me.
4: No, they're, they're not meant to slide. Okay. They're just in the wood frame, and they slid down like two-inch gap where the air is coming in.
1: Try to imagine what this looks like. The window's not meant to slide. Is this window meant to open at all? No. So it's a permanent solid pane that fits into a frame and somehow it slipped out of the frame?
4: Yeah, it, they both slid down, I guess, in, in the wall somehow or, or down the frame.
1: Is this a situation where the home is settling, do you think? Or is it just that this window sash has moved out of the frame that was holding it?
4: It just slid down in the frame that was holding it.
1: This is a good time for you to take a photo of this window and post it to The Money Pit's Facebook page at facebook.com slash The Money Pit, so we can look at it and comment on it. However, if it's a static window that was held into a wood frame and it's absolutely not intended to move or open ever, then I don't see why you couldn't slide it back up from whence it came and secure it in place mechanically with uh, screws or nails or other types of fasteners or brace it in place or use a silicone caulk around the outside edge, which would have the same effect of holding it in place. As long as it's not designed to move whatsoever, uh, then it's just a mechanical matter of, of getting it back in place and securing it there uh, in a more permanent way. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Pit.
2: You are tuned to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show on air and online at moneypit.com. Well, we are a few short weeks to the holiday season, but also to the beginning of winter. Let us help you get your Money Pit in tip-top shape. We're here for you 24 hours a day, seven days a week at 1-888-MONEY-PIT.
1: 888-666-3974. Up next, holiday season is peak break-in season as well. Is your garage door your home's weakest link? Find out how to make it tough. making good homes better. Welcome back to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. I'm Tom Kreitler.
2: And I'm Leslie Segretti.
1: Give us a call right now at 888-MONEY-PIT. You'll get the answer to your home improvement question. Plus, this hour, we're giving away a Canary single-device security system from The Home Depot. Now, this is a cool product because it's a complete home security system packaged into a single device with no contracts, no monthly fees, and is totally plug-and-play, so easy to install. It's available at The Home Depot and at homedepot.com, but we are giving away one to a lucky caller this hour. The value is $199. If you'd like that person to be you... Call us at 888-MONEYPIT, 888-666-3974.
2: Raymond in Georgia, you've got the Money Pit. How can we help you today?
3: I got a dilemma with my last flat top stove It's a Samsung. I've had it for about uh, probably close to three years. And my right front burner goes directly to hot. It stays there. Um, has no control. It's a... Uh, you have um, two burners, two burners in the one, a small burner and a big burner. And I'm not sure what to exactly do here besides call appliance person. And I'm just kind of on the poor side trying to figure it out.
1: Well, it could be one of two things. It could be the burner, which is replaceable. Uh, you do have to disassemble the glass top to do that, to get to that actual element. Or it could be the thermostat itself. Um, in either case, we're talking about a, uh, a repair that has to be done here, a product that's going to, a part that's going to have to be switched out because what you're describing is obviously not normal, nor does it sound very safe. So, unfortunately, this is a circumstance where you may need to turn to an expert because we don't know what parts you're going to need, and I could send you to a site like RepairClinic.com, for example, where you could order these parts and perhaps get some online instruction on how to do it yourself. But it's going to be somewhat trial and error because you just don't have the tools to determine which part of the circuit has gone bad. Nor do I feel like it's a really good idea for you to do it yourself unless it's something you have some significant experience with.
3: Sorry to hear that, but I kind of understood that was probably what's going to be the answer anyway. I have been Playing with it and keep looking around and YouTube's a lot of things, but I haven't found anything that really helped me. Well,
1: there's only so many parts to these ranges, and it's got to be either the element or part of the control circuit that's controlling the element, or in your case, not controlling the element. So either way, one or the other has to be replaced. I mean, look, you could call Samsung directly. Describe the problem, see if you can get through the customer service, or write them and see if they can provide any advice or direction. Perhaps this is something they're familiar with, something that's been reported by other customers. Maybe there's even a recall on it that you're not aware of. It wouldn't hurt you to do that before you start spending money, but I don't encourage you to do it yourself unless it's something you're really comfortable with, because we're talking about taking apart some electronics here, and if you make an error putting it back together, it could be unsafe, okay?
3: Right. I've called Samsung and I've talked to them and they can't give me any answers either. The best thing they're telling me is no different than what you're telling me is about getting an appliance person out there that's professional doing the job itself. And of course, um, again, there's only so many parts and I'm, I guess I'll have to bite the bullet.
1: All right. Well, sorry we couldn't give you more do-it-yourself advice, but sometimes the best advice we can give you is to tell you to not do it yourself. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Well, happy holidays, everybody. And guess what? It is peak break-in season. According to the FBI, there are more than 400,000 burglaries that occur in November and December alone. And so this holiday season, home security should be a concern for anyone planning an extended visit to family and friends. Now, from our perspective, one of the things that we've noticed is that garages can be extremely vulnerable to break-ins, so we thought we might share some tips to make those garage doors especially harder for burglars to breach.
2: Yeah, first, if you're leaving for an extended period of time, you want to detach your electric garage door opener. Now most electric garage door openers have a rope or a chain that you pull to disconnect the electric motor from the chain that operates the door. That way, if a thief uses a frequency scanning device to obtain your code, it's not going to help them out at all.
1: Also a good idea to install a manual sliding bolt style lock on the inside of your garage door track. This way it can only be open from the inside. Just remember, of course, to remove that uh, when you get back because you can't you won't be able to open or close the door with the bolt in place because let's face it, that's the idea.
2: Yeah. And you want to make sure that the garage door is properly functioning and that there's no damage to the panels that a thief could use to get in. If you have windows, cover them. This way, nobody can see inside.
1: And if you've got a door that leads from the garage into the house, make sure that that door is as secure as any other entry door. So we're talking about making sure it has both a key and a deadbolt lock. If you'd like more holiday home security tips, they're online right now at moneypit.com.
2: Carolyn Rhode Island is on the line and needs some help with the exterior of her home. How can we help you? I have a 115-year-old Queen Anne Victorian.
0: Twelve years ago, I replaced all the columns on the porch, and they're rotting out again. And they're finger-jointed columns, and I was told they were installed incorrectly, so... I'd like to know the correct way to install them.
1: Why were you told that they were installed incorrectly?
0: Um, I was told that because the top was not sealed with some kind of flashing, that there was snow and rain getting in the top of the column, and it was rotting the column from the inside out.
1: Well, that may or may not be the case. I mean, certainly you need to pay attention to uh, water control when you do a project like that. It's hard for me to imagine. Usually columns sit underneath an overhang but if there was some aspect of it that was exposed then maybe that could be the case another area to make sure um, you keep it you keep it off the ground is at the bottom of the column we usually advise columns to put on something called a post dog which is like a plate that keeps it up uh, a half inch or an inch off of the off of the the floor or the slab depending on how this is how this is built so that you have uh, some room for the column to dry out and not collect water but generally anytime you have water that collects in an area you are going to have rot now replacing these columns is not a do it yourself project so you need to proceed very carefully with this because those columns hold a lot of weight and that weight has to be transferred while the repair is being made.
0: So let me ask you this. I'm thinking now of replacing them with uh, the new fiberglass or composite columns, whatever they've made out of. Okay. And I was told by a friend of mine that I should still have some kind of a steel pole inserted in the middle to hold the weight of the porch.
1: Yeah, it depends on the column. There, There are those types of composite columns where there's essentially a metal a column like a lolly column that does all the work, the structural work, and then the decorative column kind of snaps around that.
0: Oh, I didn't realize that.
1: Because the composite itself may not be load bearing. In fact it would be unlikely for it to hold to handle almost any weight whatsoever.
0: Thank you for the information. That's for confirming what my friend told me.
2: He's not a carpenter, so I was questioning him.
1: You tell him he's very smart. <laughs> Thanks so much for calling us at eight 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 Money Pit.
2: Burton, Missouri's on the line with a sump pump situation. What's going on in your money pit?
3: Yeah, I've got two sump pumps under my house. And uh, down here in southwest Missouri, you're lucky to get a hole dug deep enough for a five-gallon bucket because of the rock and clay. It's, it, these two sump pumps are in a, in a five-gallon bucket. And when they go off, one will go off and the other one goes off. And it's just loud inside the house. You can hear them. And I was wondering what I could do. Uh, to help quiet the sound.
1: So do these go off in, uh, when, it's, when it's raining heavily outside? Is that when you get the water in the basement?
3: Yeah, it's actually, they're in a crawl space. That's another thing that makes it kind of difficult to work with. But uh, they're in a crawl space, and there's a little bit of a slope towards the house um, in the backyard that increases the amount of volume of water. But we've tried to remedy that outside by building up dirt. You know, I'm trying to do everything right. But so everything's about as much as we can possibly do. Now all we got left is just to deal with, the noise of the sump
1: pump. Okay, so just entertain me for a moment. Um, have you you have gutters on the house?
3: Oh yeah, yeah, I have got gutters in there. And
1: are the gutters all extended several feet from the house? Yeah, they are. Okay, and this backyard that you're t- you're talking about uh, adjusting the slope. A better option for that is something called a curtain drain. Are you familiar with that? A curtain drain?
3: Uh-uh. Is that kind of like a French drain.
1: So what a curtain drain is is basically uh, you would basically take a make a trench. Um, at the bottom of that hill. And the trench would be about a foot wide and a foot deep. You'd put in a couple of inches of stone, and then you'd put perforated PVC pipe uh, in that trench. You'd continue to fill stone all the way around it, um, add some filter cloth, and then put more dirt on it. So when it's done, you wouldn't see it. You could plant grass over it. But the trench would basically surround uh, the back of the house and then angle out where it could Break out to say daylight and discharge the water. Concept being that the rain comes down the hill, hits this invisible trench, falls into it, fills up the pipe, and then runs around the house and doesn't have a chance to get near the foundation where it would leak into the house. That's the kind of technique that would normally be effective in a scenario like that in terms of reducing the amount of water that's collecting at the base of the home and therefore less water around the home, less need for the sump pumps to run. Does that make sense?
3: Thank you very much.
1: You're welcome. Good luck with that project, Bert. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit.
2: Kim in Nebraska is working on a bathroom flooring project. How can we help you?
0: We had a leaky stool, and so uh, we are needing to replace our stool, but as we lifted it up, we could see that there was rotted subfloor, and we replaced that.
1: Hey, Kim, you said you had a leaky what?
0: The stool, the toilet.
1: Oh, the stool. Oh, is that what you call a toilet, a stool? <laughs> yeah, that must be a Nebraska thing. I'd never heard that before.
0: <laughs> I know, I thought that sounded a little bit nicer than toilet. <laughs> All right.
1: So we've established that your toilet is leaking and it apparently has rotted out your bathroom floor.
0: And so we replaced the subflooring that was rotted. But um, websites were suggesting that if I'm going to replace the floor, just go ahead and take the rest of that lino- the old vinyl linoleum off. And it's, you know, it was original to the house, so it's 27 years old. And so I've been slowly doing that. It's, um, I've just been scoring it and using a four-inch, you know, scraping blade uh, to get it off. But I'm really gouging that particle board underneath.
1: What are you going to use for underlayment?
0: It suggested um, the underlayment wood.
1: So what I would suggest you do is get all the rest of that linoleum off. And if the floor is really gouged up and you want to put something that's got a little bit of strength to it, I would use three-eighths-inch plywood just make sure it's like A, C plywood, so you have one really smooth side, like A-grade a on one side, maybe C on the other, uh, or or half-inch. But three-eighths or half-inch should be fine for the underlayment, and that will take up any you know depressions in the floor caused by the scratches or, or the gouging, okay? And then on top of that, you can add the tile and go from there.
2: Okay, that sounds great. All right, thanks so much for calling the Money Pit. Still ahead, are you dreaming of a toasty, warm fire this holiday season? Well, a wood-burning fireplace isn't your only option. We're going to talk about those choices with This Old House HVAC contractor, Richard Chithui, in just a bit.
1: And This Old House on the Money Pit is brought to you by Stanley Mechanics Tool Sets. No matter if your project is automotive, recreational, or home improvement, you can rely on Stanley Mechanics Tools for versatility, durability, and to get the job done right. Hey, this is Joe
3: Namath. And if you want to move the ball on your home improvement projects, listen to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. On
4: the Money Pit
2: Radio Show, pick up the telephone, fix up your home, sweet home by calling 888-MONEY-PIT. Everyone should know that drinking water is important to staying hydrated and healthy.
1: making good homes better. This is The Money Pit, home improvement radio show. I'm Tom Kreitler.
2: And I'm Leslie Segretti.
1: Hey, if you're entertaining guests this holiday season, you might want to get in on our current Facebook sweepstakes. Our holiday home makeover sweeps includes three fantastic prizes to help make your house a home. We're giving away a queen-size mattress and foundation set from bedinabox.com, a designer bath mirror and stool by Laughin, and a handy chef pack by Verona.
2: You can check out these fabulous prizes and enter to win one at facebook.com slash themoneypit.
1: Get your holiday home makeover started right.
2: Michael in North Carolina, you've got the Money Pit. How can we help you today?
1: We have a hot, hot water heater in our
3: garage on like an elevated plateau. And we noticed the other day there was a slight leak underneath it but it looked like it might have been coming from a uh, like PVC-type tube coming from the top of our water heater. and It's the length of the water heater, the tube, and we've never seen water under that area before, and we now notice some of that, so I wasn't sure why it was a sweating situation or if, what, some type sort of relief valve maybe or something like that, but... I'm not sure why water would have been there.
1: Yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's a temperature and pressure relief valve. It's mounted on the side of the water heater. It's designed to open up if the water heater develops too much pressure as a safety mechanism. However, uh, it they frequently wear and leak. So I'm going to tell you what you can try to do, but I'm also going to warn you. Uh, there's a lever on the side of that, and sometimes you get a little bit of a debris that's stuck inside that that uh, temperature and pressure valve. When you pull the lever, it'll shoot some water out that tube. You want to make sure you have a bucket under it. Just two or three times, it'll kind of blast some hot water out of there. However, the warning is that sometimes, once you do that, the valve never sits back properly, and it ends up leaking worse. Um, so it's possible you could make it worse by doing this, but that's worth trying uh, if you just want to leave a bucket under it, monitor it for a little while. How old is this water heater?
3: Uh, about 1990,
1: 1998. Oh, oh, well, you know what? You're due for a new one. So 1998, I, I wouldn't wait too much longer before I replace that because, uh, let's face it, it's about, what, 15 years old now? And so, you know, a water heater that gets past 10 is, you know, well... Uh, on its way to uh, needing to the end of its, of its useful life, so I would you know you could monitor it, stick a bucket under there, keep an eye on it. But I think it's uh, it's about time to think about replacing. It's not an emergency replacement, so you got some time to shop around. One of the problems with water heaters is once they do leak, they usually have to be done immediately, and people get taken advantage of because they need it today. But you're not in that situation, Michael. So you could take some time and shop around and, and, and find the one, the contractor that you want. But fifteen uh, year old water heater, you might want to think about replacing it. All right, sir. I appreciate that very much. Good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at eight 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 Money Pit.
2: Well, the warm glow of a fire is a welcome addition on a cold winter night. But a wood-burning fireplace isn't the only way to get the heat and ambiance that a fire can bring.
1: That's right. You can have all the benefits of a fire without a chimney when you install a direct vent gas fireplace. Here to tell us more is this old house plumbing and heating contractor, Richard Trithouille. Welcome, Richard. Hello, guys. How are you? So this is a great solution for people who want a fireplace without the work and expense of building one brick by brick. How does it work?
5: Well, a gas direct vent fireplace is pretty cool because you can put it anywhere, and it draws its air from outdoors to feed the flame. I mean, this is setup is really efficient because you're not losing valuable heated air up the chimney like you do with conventional gas fireplaces or conventional wood fireplaces.
1: I imagine that's a lot safer as well.
5: Yeah, there's a bunch of advantages. You know, one is safety. Since they eliminate the need for a flu through the roof, you don't worry about backdrafting where, you, you know, the flu products go in the wrong direction. Uh, as another safety measure, the vent pipe can be installed directly through the wall. It's really simple. You get the flu products completely out of the building quickly. It's also efficient. Direct vent appliances burn natural gas or propane like traditional fireplaces. However, they convert most of their fuel to usable heat. They're completely sealed off from the interior rooms by a glass door, which prevents that significant heat loss that always happens in a regular wood fireplace. You know, you put that fire on... You get a lot of heat early on, and then all of a sudden there's a net loss where more heat's going up, up the chimney, the chimney yeah. than it's coming in to see you. So.
1: Yeah, in some cases, that's all the heat that you paid for with your conventional heating system being taken right out of the house. The fact that you can squeeze almost every BTU out of the gas that's really right. is what improves that's right. its
5: efficiency. And you can control it so precisely, too. You turn it on, you turn it off, which is great.
1: Now, I'd imagine these are easier to install in terms of the flexibility of where you can put them,
5: right? Yeah, you don't have to think about a masonry chimney. You don't have to worry about the size of the masonry chimney. You don't have to worry about the size of any chimney going out because the fan inside. Inside the unit will get the flue products out, so you can put them just about anywhere. Now, when we talk
1: about gas fireplaces, I think some people might confuse what we're discussing in terms of direct vent with a traditional gas fireplace, but it's really hugely different.
5: Yeah. In the old days, what you might do would be put a thing called a gas log into the opening that used to be a wood fireplace opening. And that had all the same issues that you had, many of the same issues that you had with a wood fireplace, where you might turn it on, you'd have to open the damper to get exhaust going up you turn on the gas log, and even though you felt some heat, you also could feel almost a draft pulling by you as the heat you just made, actually, actually the heat you made in that gas log actually increased the amount of air that was leaving through the building with the uplift that goes into the chimney. So those traditional ones have been pretty much replaced by these direct vent, and those are always sealed units. And so... What's happened is you get all of your air for combustion from outside. There's a duct somewhere that comes into that combustion zone, so you're not creating a negative in the building to pull that stuff up and out. And that's really the way you want
2: to do it. So now we're direct venting through the wall, through whatever your exterior material is. This sounds like it could be a pretty difficult project for a novice do-it-yourselfer.
5: Well, this is a gas appliance, so it should be done by a licensed gas professional, but it still doesn't mean that it's too prohibitive to do i mean it's just it's it's really the way to do it the key point to understand is that you think you're getting comfortable heat when you have a regular wood fireplace when you have a regular gas log and the net-net, when you stand back from it, is you're losing as much as you're making. So you you feel this temporary satisfaction. But it's on the long haul, you're putting a lot up into the atmosphere. better
1: remember that, that uh, that's
5: coming out of your recreational budget. When it's <laughs> right. that fireplace. That's right. You're not saving money by burning right. wood. That's right.
1: Richard Rathoui, the plumbing and heating contractor on TV's This Old House. Thank you so much. That's a great piece of knowledge about direct vent. And I think I'm going to consider putting one of those in my house. Let's
5: keep everybody warm.
2: All right, you can catch the current season of This Old House and Ask This Old House on PBS. For local listings and step-by-step videos of many common home improvement projects, visit thisoldhouse.com.
1: And This Old House on PBS is brought to you by GMC. GMC, we are professional grade. Still ahead, you'll likely be asked many, many times this holiday shopping season if you'd like to add a product protection plan or warranty to your purchase. Are these warranties ever worth it? We'll help you figure it out. After this, you
3: live in
2: a money, money pit.
1: Making good homes better, welcome back to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. I'm Tom Kreitler.
2: And I'm Leslie Segretti. We've got up for grabs a great prize this hour. We're giving away the Canary Single Device Security System. Now, this is a complete home security system that's all packed into one single device. And best part is you set it up. There's no contracts, no monthly fees, and you don't need a tool to install it. And the coolest part is that it's actually going to learn and adapt to your home over time. So whenever the canary detects something out of the ordinary in your house or apartment, it's going to send you a notification through video or audio directly to your smartphone. It's available at The Home Depot, and it's a prize worth $199. The
1: Home Depot. Depot and HomeDepot.com are the destination for smart home solutions with a wide range of products and platforms. This prize is going out to one lucky caller drawn at random. Make that you. Pick up the phone and call us at one 888 Pit.
2: Now we've got Norma from Delaware on the line who wants to know what size pipes you need to get good pressure in the bathroom. Norma, that sounds like a personal question. What's going on at your Money Pit? <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm going to install a shower panel. Okay. And I in order to get, you know...
4: Good, the right pressure. Right. How, long, how How big do the pipes need to be?
1: You said you want to install a shower panel. So is this one of these units where it comes in and then fans out to multiple spray heads?
4: Yeah, the, the jets, right.
1: How's your water pressure right now?
4: Pretty good. Well, my house is about
1: uh, eight years old. Oh, if it's only eight years old and you have pretty good water pressure, you should be okay with this. I will say, though, that the water pressure coming out of multiple shower heads is not going to be as invigorating as coming out of a single shower head. So it's going to give you good coverage, but it may not be as, uh, as strong and I don't think there's much that you can do about that. If you've got normal street pressure, that's how those shower panel units are designed to work. But just be mindful that it's it's not likely to be as strong when it's going to come out of multiple heads, because you basically just need more water to do that.
4: Oh, okay. Well, you know, um, I inquired with the builder, and he told me that from, from the basement to the shower floor, I have three-quarter pipes. And then from the, from the floor to the shower head, half an inch.
1: And that's typical. That's typical. So, you know, that, that doesn't change anything.
4: Oh, okay. Colin, thank you so much for your help.
1: Good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit.
2: Well, if an appliance is on your holiday shopping list, you might be wondering if buying an extended warranty is worth it. It's a question we hear a lot now the federal trade commission says millions of consumers pay for protection they don't need so to keep from wasting money you've got to do your homework
1: that's right first you want to compare coverage you need to know what the basic warranty covers to determine if the extended warranty really provides you with enough additional coverage to make sense also know your appliance you can check its repair reputation online at sites like consumer reports or even the Association of Home Appliance Manufacturers at AHAM.org. And this way you'll see how likely it is that it could break down.
2: Also, you want to check for hidden costs. Now, extended warranties often have deductibles, service fees, or even cancellation charges. You also want to find out whether a technician will come to your home or if you actually have to take the appliance in to be serviced. And a repair location might not even be nearby you.
1: Good point. Finally, you'll not only see these extended... Warranties offered on appliances. I've seen them offered at toy stores, sporting goods stores, electronics stores, and more. They all try to tack on these product protection plans. And sometimes the cost of the plan is usually based on the cost of the product which might or might not be a good investment. You really need to know the item, do your homework, and decide what you want to do before you're forced into making a split-second decision, especially at a checkout with a line of impatient customers waiting behind you.
2: Pam in Missouri is on the line and has a question about installing a dimmer, a great do-it-yourself project. How can we help you, Pam? I have a room that has fluorescent lighting
0: in it, and there's two entries into that room. So there's a light switch on each door, so it's a two-way switch. Can I put a sensor on that so that when you walk in and walk out, the lights come on and go off?
1: Are you asking me if you can? Can you put a sensor on that? Yes. Is your concern that you want the lights to come on automatically, or is your concern that you don't want people to leave the lights on when no one's in the room? Both. Well, I guess you could use an occupancy sensor switch there, but you would need to set it in vacancy mode, not occupancy mode. See, in occupancy mode, the light comes on when there's motion. So if you had a three-way, what could happen is you walk in the room, the switch closest to you picks up your motion, turns the lights on. You continue halfway through the room until the one on the other side picks it up and turns the lights off. So that wouldn't work too well. A better option might be to just replace one side of it, just one of the switches, with an occupancy sensor, but set it in what's called the vacancy mode. So what that means is you manually turn the light switch on, but if there's no motion in the room, it will automatically go off. So we use these, for example, in the bedrooms upstairs at our house because kids turn lights on, but as we all know, kids don't turn the lights off. So if you set it in the vacancy mode, they can turn the lights on, but then they'll go off depending on the period of monitoring you set. They'll either go off 1, 5, 15, or 30 minutes later.
2: Oh, okay. All right. All right. Thanks so much for calling the Money Pit. When we come back, we're going to talk about some key kitchen improvements that won't break the bank. Details about those things you can tackle after this.
0: The Money Pit is brought to you by Glisten. Glisten makes it easy to clean, freshen, and maintain your dishwasher, disposer, microwave, and washing machine. So, improve the performance of your appliances with cleaning solutions from Glisten, the machine cleaning experts. Visit glistencleaners.com.
1: Where home solutions live. Welcome back to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. I'm Tom Kreitler.
2: And I'm Leslie Segretti.
1: And welcome Columbia, Missouri, where there's more than one way to tune into the Money Pit on KSSZ FM 93.9 and now 96.3 FM 2. You can hear us on Sundays from 2 to 4. We hope to hear from you with your home improvement questions, Columbia, Missouri.
2: All right, we're going to jump right in with a question from Missouri that Grant wrote in that says, my kitchen countertop is tile and my old cast-iron sink has begun to rust. Can the sink be replaced without removing the tile around it, or is there some product that I can use to sand down the sink and recoat it? Well,
1: I wouldn't recommend recoating it. It never works out well. You should be able to get that sink out, though, without taking your countertop apart. First, what you want to do is use a tile saw to grind or saw out the grout that's around that sink itself. You basically need to increase the gap between the sink and the tile. Then you'll disconnect all the plumbing, work very carefully, and work that sink loose. Now there's definitely a chance, Grant, that you'll loosen up a few tiles in the process of doing this, but if you save them, you should be able to re-glow and re-grout them in place once the new sink is set in. That's though going to be another key to the success of this project, making sure you can find a sink that's exactly the same size as the one that you pulled out. Now, as I said before, many folks ask us about refinishing these sinks, but we found that it's just not a real successful project because cast iron sink finishes are baked on when the sinks are made and there's nothing over the counter we've ever found that can do nearly as good a job.
2: No, I mean, unless you got that sink out and brought it somewhere to be reglazed, Then that would be amazing, but that's not going (laughs) to, then you're still taking out the sink. All right, next up, we've got a post from Jesse who writes, the vinyl flooring in my kitchen has yellow stains around the perimeter and near the floor vents. I suspect that the stains are from the glue used to install it. I'll be installing new laminate flooring soon. How do I make sure this doesn't happen again?
1: Well, like you suggested, Jesse, those stains may very well be from a chemical reaction uh, caused by the adhesive underneath. We often see this when we have rubber-backed carpets that are put over these vinyl floors. There's another kind of chemical reaction that happens between the rubber of the carpet and the floor itself, it tends to turn it yellow. It's not a stain in the sense that you can clean it off. It actually is permanently changing the color of that vinyl. The good news is that that will not happen when we're talking about laminate floors because you have many layers of material now between that vinyl and the top color surface of the floor. So I wouldn't worry about it at all. I would pull out those registers. I would probably leave the vinyl in place as long as it wasn't going to end up making my floor too thick as an overall or too high, I should say, um, overall. Then go ahead and install the laminate floor. It will float on top of that, that vinyl floor beneath it. The the uh, laminate floor uh, tiles will lock together. There's almost no adhesive necessary. And you want to make it uh, so that it goes up to the edge of the wall and leave about a quarter of an inch gap That will give it enough room to expand and contract. And then you use some shoe molding to cover it the rest of the way.
2: Yeah, Jesse, you know, laminate flooring really is, first of all, a great choice for a kitchen. But I think the best part about going with a laminate is that there's so many options. So depending on what you want this floor to look like, you can really make it look like that. Whether it's a wide plank with a hand scrape or something that looks more like stone or cork or bamboo, it is all your choice and you'll find some good ones out there.
1: This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show on air and online at moneypit.com. Hey, thank you so much for spending this holiday weekend with us. If you're still trying to get a project done before the guests arrive, Four of the holidays, give us a call any time of the day or night at 888 Money Pit. Remember, if we're not in the studio when you call, this is a full service operation and we might just call you back the next time we are. I'm Tom Kreitler.
2: And I'm Leslie Segretti. Remember, you can do it yourself, but you don't have to do it alone.